All right, well, let's start now. Uh, Chapter 26, the person of Christ. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. What I want to talk about this morning is the humanity of Christ. And we start out with the fact, uh, with uh, talking about Jesus' humanity, the first aspect is the virgin birth of Christ. Do you have, anybody need an outline? Everybody have an outline? Okay, thank you, Garth, for caring for those. And that schedule for the summer is at the bottom of the back page of your outline. Okay? The virgin birth of Christ. Um, Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So there's Matthew explicitly affirming that uh, Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit's miraculous work. Matthew 1.20, when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, He resolved to put her away quietly, but then it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So there's again an affirmation, clear affirmation, that the child was conceived by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 24 to 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And again, knew her not in biblical language would mean they didn't have uh, sexual relations before uh, the time that Jesus was born. Over in Luke, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to uh, bear a child. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, um, a couple generations ago, in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, there was a lot of controversy Uh, in the church over the virgin birth because people who had a more liberal view of the Bible began to say, well, you don't have to believe the virgin birth to be a Christian. Uh, Virgin birth is not essential to the Bible. Um, Besides, who who could believe such a foolish doctrine as the virgin birth? It's scientifically impossible that a child would be born without a human father. And that issue of the virgin birth of Christ became kind of a focal point for dispute between the, what was called the fundamentalists and what was called the modernists, what we would call conservative and liberal or evangelical and liberal uh, people in the church today. Yet, I think we have to say that the virgin birth of Christ in these verses in Matthew and Luke is very clearly affirmed. And when people say, well, it's impossible... My goodness, they're just affirming that they don't think the God who created the universe can do this miracle Um, because uh, it certainly is not impossible for God uh, to cause this to happen. In fact, Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus just wasn't an ordinary child born of an ordinary father and ordinary mother, uh, but uh, God had sent forth his son uh, into the world, and this 
came about through the virgin birth. Now, is it important that we affirm this? Um, and people have asked that. You know, what, what, can you be a Christian without affirming the virgin birth? Well, I suppose you can be a Christian and still have some doctrinal error of various sorts. I don't think it's too helpful to get into discussing how much error you can have and still be a Christian. Who wants to talk about that? But um, uh, I think there is significant doctrinal importance for the virgin birth. Number one, it shows us that salvation didn't come about by human effort. Salvation, ultimately, after centuries and centuries um, of waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15, who would bruise the head of the serpent, after centuries and centuries, uh, it turned out that... that um, Abraham was not the Messiah, and Moses was not the Messiah, and David was not the Messiah, and Solomon was not the Messiah. But the Messiah came not about by, by, by mere human effort, but came about through the miraculous work of God. And that is good, because it means that when we think about our salvation, that we give glory and honor to God for it. Number two, the virgin birth makes possible the full deity and full humanity of Christ in one person. Now we think about it for a minute. What are the possible ways that Jesus could have come to earth as a man? Well, I suppose God could have created a human body for Jesus in heaven and then sent him to earth, just kind of descending from the clouds as a fully formed, fully created man. But if that happened, what would you wonder? Is this what? Is he, is he truly a man? I mean, is he really like us? If he just came from outer space, <laughs> you know, maybe you know, maybe he's not truly a man. So that 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 isn't that probably wouldn't be a good solution. I suppose I don't know if it would have been possible, but you could think of a theoretical possibility that Jesus could have been born of a human father and a human mother, and somehow God came and joined his divine nature with this fully human man. Uh, but then we'd wonder, well, is he really divine? Or is this just a, a human being? But by having a human mother but no human father, Jesus' conception and birth then came about by a combination of a genuine human mother. So we see this is a human being born of a human human mother, and um, a no-human father uh, by the miraculous work of God. So I think this at least makes possible the full deity and full humanity of Christ in one person. And then number three, this makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin from Adam. And I get that from, uh, I get that from uh, Luke one thirty four. The Holy Spirit, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, that is by, by virtue of the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit was responsible for the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. Therefore, because of that, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There are two things affirmed here. He'll be called Holy and he'll be called the Son of God. The Son of God is deity. But holy has to do with his freedom from sin. And I think that this, the implication is because of the virgin birth by the power of God, therefore the child is holy. That is, he's free from this inherited sin that we have passed down from Adam through all generations. But Jesus was without sin. Now, 
You say, well, does that mean that sin is always passed down through the Father? I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. But I think, at least in this case, it is saying the intervention of the Holy Spirit at this point was responsible for keeping Jesus free from a sinful nature and from uh, a guilty status before God that we all inherit. Roman Catholics have a different viewpoint on this question. They say that the reason Jesus was completely free from inherited sin is that Mary herself uh, was sinless. And she was conceived as uh, a sinless little baby in her mother's womb. And that's the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. And that was made official Catholic teaching in 1854 by a declaration of the Pope. As Protestants, we would differ with that and say, you know, that, that really doesn't solve the problem because how, how could it be that Mary was free from sin? And uh, moreover, the Bible doesn't really teach that. It teaches that Mary is to be honored and uh, we are to be thankful for her and uh, she was blessed among women, and we're, but she's not... Uh, but, she, but she was not uh, free from sin herself. The Bible doesn't make that affirmation. So those are the areas of the doctrinal importance of the virgin birth. And yes, I do think a lot is at stake here. you want to talk about that for a minute or ask about it, Mike? Mike? Oh, where's, the, where's our roving microphone? It's coming. Okay. Solve the problem. Yeah. They had a problem now with the origin of this, and therefore the, you know, the idea of the immaculate conception came because they all of a sudden saw something yeah. from Mary. Yeah. You know, now how are you going to take care of that? Right. We seem to have, shall we say, fallen into or accepted the conceptualization of. The, the role of Mary or, you know, the, the uh, virgin birth of Jesus involved, you know, the transformation <clears throat> of one of Mary's eggs. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a pure speculation, and yet we bring that into our nomenclature when we say things like ah. Jesus is, you know, okay. half, you yeah. know, has a human mother and yeah. 
and divine father yeah. and we refuse those yeah. things as opposed to you know and just speculation that the whole miracle was the impregnate impregnation yeah. uh, by a okay. another formed human being why yeah. you know okay. have theologians grappled with that yeah maybe yeah. i'm not i'm not aware, i'm not familiar with the literature i suppose but um but i suppose people have written about it. i don't know um, a couple of comments. I think that um, I want to be careful not to make affirmations where the Bible is silent. And so I don't think we know. I suppose in theory, could it have been that God created a fully formed embryo and put it in Mary's womb rather than just a sperm and put it in Mary's womb or yeah, to, to adjoin with her egg? I guess the Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other. I am, I'm a bit reluctant, um, let me see, I'm reluctant to, on two grounds, to say, well, this was the idea in the ancient world, so maybe this is what was going on here. On two grounds, one is it's really hard to know what the varieties of opinions were in the ancient world. It's just like saying, well, what did people believe in the 21st century? Well, hundreds of different things, uh, you know, on different topics. And so um, I, have, I have read, oh, people thought this was all from the, from the Father, but I don't know if that's selective use of just a little bit of literature from the ancient world or if it was widespread, because just common sense says kids look like their moms too. And so just observation of human nature uh, would have led them to think, I wonder in what extent, you know, the mother contributes to this. Sure looks like her mom. She's got her same eyes, got same hair, and all that. Um, but the second thing is the Bible can differ with, you know, the prevailing culture. So, so I'm not sure. But, but if I had to make my best guess, my best guess would be there is a genuine human nature transmitted from Mary, her egg, and a, probably a miraculously created sperm that joined with that from the Holy Spirit. Um, so that Jesus does genuinely, physically descend from Adam. Um, that's my best guess. But, but I, don't, I don't think we can resolve it because I don't think there's enough evidence to, uh, to resolve it. It's a really, really good, thoughtful question. Anything else on the virgin birth? Yeah, John. The Bible talks about the fact that Jesus David mm -hmm. and uh, that, that uh, it was all through the lineage and it also talks so much about the fact that uh, it, it was God who who uh, created Jesus in, in Mary's womb. So it's do you think it's one way or the other, or is it a 50-50 thing that we're supposed to understand? I know that's kind of what you're talking about. I think that descent from Abraham and from David to fulfill prophecy, I think it was probably both legal descent, which would have been, if Jesus was Joseph's adopted child, the legal, legally the descent would have been true, and probably physical descent uh, through Mary as well. Um, who has the Matthew notes in the study Bible? <laughs> Could I look at that for a minute? 
Oh, I can't find it. There's something in here about the genealogies. About the, I see legal descent from Abraham and David, but I thought it was going to help me more than it did. This is useless. Who wants to get this? <laughs> I think it's in here someplace, but I can't find it now. <laughs> yeah. descent from um, Joseph's side of the family and yep. the genealogy of Mary's side of the yep. family. And um, uh, and they're both fulfilling promises. Yes, and, and Jesus would have been the king of uh, the Jews. As uh, I mean... I think that's right. I think that is so incredible. Only God could do that. Yeah. It's just so incredible. But Joseph would have been the king and then his son Jesus uh, would have been the rightful heir to the throneship from from David and what's so exciting is not only does it come from Joseph's side but mm-hmm. also from Mary's mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. so it's pretty cool thanks Tammy good well I'm going to go on um, human weaknesses and limitations now here's the thing people I think get so used to thinking of Jesus as being fully God and he was that we forget that there are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the way that Jesus was ordinary, like us. Uh, For instance, he had a human body, like we do. Uh, He was born as a human baby, Luke 2.7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Luke 2.40, the child grew and became strong. That means that Jesus grew from being a little baby to being a boy to being a man and became strong. That means he got stronger physically as he grew up. It wasn't that he could sort of, sort of at age three work these incredible miracles or something like that. I, now, I want to be careful of what I say here because I think he was fully God at the same time. But in his human nature, it was just an ordinary human body. And um, Luke 2.52, the child, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. That means he learned. That means he learned the alphabet. He learned multiplication tables. He learned to read, just like other human um, children. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Alphabet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion. Probably did little chance to learn the Hebrew alphabet and, and other things. And learned to write, learned to play games and things like other children. So he increased in wisdom. Jesus was tired at points. John 4, 6, when he comes to talk to the woman at the well at Samaria, it says Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting by the well to rest. So he was tired out. He knows what it means to be physically tired by experience. He was uh, thirsty. John 19, 28, uh, he said, I thirst. And uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Matthew 4, 2, he knows what it is to be hungry. Luke 23, 43, oh yes, when Jesus died, I think the same thing happened to his soul or spirit that happens to ours when we die. His body remained on the earth and was buried, but his human spirit or soul went to be with the Father in heaven because he says to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And Luke 24, 39, after his resurrection, he still has a human body, a physical body after his resurrection, because he says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Luke 24, 39, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones 
as you see that I have. So if you had gone to touch Jesus' arm uh, after his resurrection, your hand would have stopped. It, it was flesh and bones after his resurrection. Um, now, and I know there's some question about whether could, Jesus could appear and disappear uh, after his resurrection, probably be hidden from people's eyes, but I don't think it negates the materiality, the physicality, the definite uh, material substance of his resurrection body. And then when he ascended up into heaven, Acts 1.11, he took his body with him because he lifted up his hands to bless his disciples. And the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts both tell us while they were watching, he was lifted up from them. That means that God designed the ascension of Jesus into heaven to teach us that his body went with him into heaven. And he has a physical body still today. And the angel promised this same Jesus will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he's going to come back in that same physical body. So it wasn't, he was, it wasn't that he was just a man temporarily while he was here on earth. He became a man when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb and then continued as a human being and will continue as a human being for all eternity. What about the Mormons? Ah, uh, yeah, but they don't believe he's fully God in the way we do. So, yeah. It's really hard to design a religion that, has, that thinks everything wrong. <laughs> yeah. There are a few things where they're not wrong. But, yeah, well, anyway. All right, Jesus had a human mind. Um, Luke 2.52, he increased in wisdom. Hebrews 5.8. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And I used to wonder about that. Well, how could Jesus learn obedience? If he was completely sinless, how could he learn obedience? I think what it means is that though he didn't sin, yet as he grew older, the challenges to obedience became more and more difficult. So, you know, you can give a three-year-old some simple tasks, and a six-year-old a little more responsibility, and a 15- or 16-year-old more responsibility until you come to the point where a child grows to full adulthood and is entrusted with adult responsibility. And then, as you're an adult, isn't it true that sometimes God entrusts you with a little task, and then you are faithful, and he entrusts you with more? And so I think that through Jesus' childhood and growing up into adulthood, the challenges to obedience became more and more difficult where there was more opposition from perhaps playmates. There was more opposition from people who were trying to trick him or get him to sin. And, of course, that intensified immensely during his ministry, where uh, first he had the temptation in the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan, and then he had all these opponents trying to trap him and trick him into doing something wrong during his earthly three-year ministry. So as he successfully resisted temptations and obeyed when the temptations became difficult and the, and the opposition became harder and the suffering and hardship he experienced became harder, as he successfully obeyed, his moral character or his moral backbone grew stronger and stronger. And every time he resisted a temptation, he had more strength to resist uh, yet greater one in the future. So I think that's what Hebrews 5.8 means. He learned obedience through what he suffered. There's application to us, of course, as well, in that uh, as uh, God is wise and faithful uh, to us, and as he recognizes our abilities and our limitations and strengths, he may bring more and more difficult challenges into our lives as well, so that we can learn to be strengthened in our obedience, even through hardship.
Mark 13, 32, I also do put in the category of Jesus had a human mind. He says, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, um, I think in this verse, and a number of commentators also say, that if we take the whole teaching of the New Testament about the person of Christ, we know that he is both fully man and fully God. As fully God, he had to be omniscient. He had to have infinite knowledge of all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Therefore, there must be a sense in his divine nature in which he did know when he was going to return, but another sense in with respect to his human nature where he did not. Now, I'll come, I'll come back to that in a couple of weeks when we try to put it together. This is one of the hardest verses to deal with because it uses the word son, and you think of divine son of God, but there are places like that where a title that makes you think of one nature is used of the person, and I think that that's what Mark 13, 32 means, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to pause there right now. I'm going to go on and say at least these other verses certainly teach that Jesus had a human mind and learned things and grew in knowledge as we do. C, Jesus had a human soul and human emotions. There was a heresy in the ancient church that said, uh, that, said that, oh, Jesus just had a human body, but his, he didn't have a human mind like we do and a human soul. Uh, it was called Apollinarianism. I'll get to that in, three, in two more weeks. But uh, the church rejected that because it said, you know what? As we look at the evidence of the Gospels, we see that there's genuine human emotion like we have, and it looks like his soul experienced what our soul experiences or our spirit experiences in daily life. So John 12, 27, before the crucifixion, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, Greek word tarasso. It's the same word that's used about... Um, uh, oh, Zechariah being troubled when an angel appeared before him in the temple, or the disciples being troubled when they saw Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm. It means troubled, uh, um, disturbed. And Jesus' soul experienced that, or his spirit. I think another word for soul, John 13, 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Matthew 26, 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. I think that Jesus is saying, if there was any greater weight of sorrow on me, it feels as if it would kill me. That is, it's so sorrowful. It's, there's so much a weight of sorrow on him, on his, on his human soul, I think he's saying. And uh, then you see expressions of emotions. John eleven thirty five at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, and he was heard for his godly fear. I think that means that while Jesus was praying, it, it, that there was a lot of genuine, heartfelt, deep emotion expressed in his prayers as he called out to God. And then uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is saying, whatever difficulty you are facing, or the book of Hebrews is saying, whatever difficulty you are facing, no matter how great the temptation, no matter how great the struggle, Jesus understands that. Because in some way or another, he's had an experience similar to it. 
He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And I know that Jesus didn't have every life situation that we face. Uh, he wasn't married, for instance, and didn't uh, raise children. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm sure that Jesus faced sexual temptations, as any man would. Um, and I'm sure also that as the oldest son growing up in a, a Jewish family in Palestine, he had similar, some kinds of responsibilities similar to that of being a father, particularly since we don't hear anything about Joseph after Jesus is 12, when he's in the temple. Because, other, because later than when Jesus begins his ministry, you see Mary and you see his brothers and sisters around him, but no mention of Joseph at all. And so most people think, although it's, it's, it's not absolutely sure, but most, most interpreters think that Joseph died at some point in um, between time Jesus was 12 and when he was 30. Well, if you're the oldest son and the father dies, then you have the responsibility to be the primary income provider for that family. And also to be the probably the, the, the male head of the household as far as the younger children are concerned. And so though Jesus was never a father, he had younger brothers and sisters and knows what it is to uh, care for children and to, be, and to feel the responsibility of providing um, for a family. So he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, sympathize with our weaknesses and understand because... Uh, um, because he felt the weight of responsibility. And uh, just, it's a good exercise to think, now what are you going through in your life right now that's difficult? And then to say, can you think of anything in Jesus' life that would mean that he can understand what you are going through? Can you just really quick, anybody give an example or two, just in a word or two? Not. What's an example of a difficulty that would be similar to what Jesus understood, Chantel? Well, he's talking about family things. Maybe he's talking about happy Ah, good. Uh, singleness. Oh, Chantel says he was not married, and Chantel and her friend next to her here says you, you've both lost your husbands, and Jesus understands the... Sadness involved with that, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what else, Dan? Loss of good friends. All his disciples forsook him and fled, it says. When people turn against you, oh, my goodness, Jesus understands that. Okay. And you can say, Lord, this is hard, but I know you know what I'm going through. What else? Anything, any other example, um, Carol? Good. Carol, being burdened for the evil and the sin that is in the world. And I'll bet he felt that. I imagine, I'm quite sure he felt that more deeply than we do. But you read the newspaper, you look at the news, and just so much evil in the world. 
and being burdened to pray for that. I'm sure Jesus did. Yeah. What else? Any other example? Yeah, John? Forsaken by his father on the cross. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Or if that's happened with regard to a parent with us. Yeah. Jesus, under, you can go and say, Lord, you know even more than what I'm going through, what this is like. Yeah, Pammy. Oh, yeah. Betrayal and being misunderstood. In fact, being intentionally lied about. Um, Lord, you know what this is like because you've been through it. Help me. Help me in this. Yeah. So again and again, I, I think that in some way there's something parallel in Jesus' experience to everything that we go through. In every way he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he was able to come through those situations um, and we can say, I think, Lord, show me how you handled this. Lord, help me understand how you dealt with this, yet without sin. Help me respond in the same way that you did. Keith? Mm-hmm. Thank you, and congratulations on your election as a new elder here at Scottsdale Bible. Keith, Keith Ray, good. And uh, Ed and Jack rotating off the elder board after faithful service, and Warren, where are you rotating off the elder board, and who else is rotating off? Warren, back here. And thank you for your service. I hope I'm not missing anybody, but I just saw that on the newspaper this morning. Okay, Keith, uh, yeah, this is very interesting. Luke 2.52 is after this 12-year-old situation in the temple. He goes down to Nazareth, and really this summarizes 18 years, doesn't it? He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so we're seeing him growing physically, growing uh, mentally, growing in his walk with God, and growing in favor with man. Wow. Thank you, Keith. Good. Helpful. And that's a summary of those 18 years. Incredible. Okay. Now, there are some surprising verses that I think affirm so clearly Jesus' true humanity, and that is people near Jesus saw him only as a man. Because when he comes back to Nazareth and starts to speak here in Matthew 13, 55, the people, they don't even want to accept him. They say, is not this the carpenter's son? And if you look at Mark 6, 3, it also calls him a carpenter. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? That is, they, they say, well, this is just an ordinary guy. We've known this guy for 30 years. Who does he think he is? Well, that tells me that when Jesus was living there in Nazareth, which had 
between estimates go from 300 to 2,000 people, but it was a small town at that time. They knew him, they must have thought of him as a good man, a kind man, an honest man, probably a hardworking, faithful man, but they had no idea that he was also fully God. They had no idea. And an even more surprising verse, John 7, 5, not even his brothers believed in him. Now, there are four brothers named in that previous verse. Now, let me just tell you, I guarantee that those brothers did not have their own bedrooms individually. (laughs) Houses in Palestine were just not that big, and Jesus' family was just not that wealthy. There were two, three, four of those boys in one room, I'm pretty sure. And yet, from childhood, they had grown up with this Jesus. And at age 30, they didn't believe in him. So truly, completely, fully human was he that they had no idea that they were living with the creator of the universe in that same room. His deity was hidden. He was fully God, but it didn't become evident. And, uh, oh, there are some stories that never made it in the Bible of Jesus doing miracles when he's a little boy. They're all false. Because John 2 tells us that the first miracle that Jesus did was at Cana in Galilee, where he turned water into wine. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. So he lived as an ordinary human being. They must have thought of him as a good older brother. In fact, it says in the verse Luke pointed out, he, or Keith pointed out, he increased in favor with God and man. And so people must have liked him and thought well of him um, during, overall, and probably there were some evil people that didn't like him, but overall, uh, they must have liked him and thought well of him, and, um, and yet he was sinless. I want to just ask another question. Um, did Jesus ever laugh? He had to have. It doesn't ever record him laughing in the Bible, but sure. I'm sure he had fun. I'm sure he lived as an ordinary boy, yet without sin. Did he ever get sick? I think he had to, yeah. I think he had to. If chicken pox or measles or whatever came to that little house, everybody's going to get it. And it doesn't ever record him being sick, but it does say at the end of his life that the nails went through his hands and feet and the spear pierced his side. And if those things could pierce his physical body, then I'm quite sure that the whatever virus or bacteria would cause an illness also affected Jesus. So... I think when we have physical sickness, though there's no record of that, and of course, it was suffering at his death, but uh, during our lifetimes, we can say, Jesus, I think you know what this is like. Please help me. Please help me know how you dealt with it. Please help me understand. Uh, what's your name? Tina. Tina, yeah. Do you, do you think when um, Jesus was born that his mother and father told everybody that he was born of a virgin birth. Was that a widespread notion in that time? Did his brothers grow up knowing that? And did all the people around him know that? Again, I'm speculating a little here, but my hunch is that Mary and Joseph knew it. I don't know if they told anybody else, but few. And what happened was that... um, 
when uh, the, um, they grew up in Nazareth. But then, just before, just before Jesus was born, they traveled south uh, to Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem, about five, six miles south of Jerusalem. Um, and Jesus was born there. And then before they could go back to Nazareth, Herod was going to kill all the children, and so the angels said, flee to Egypt. So they went off to Egypt. So during, I don't know, the first several years of Jesus' childhood, they were off in a foreign country, and people in Nazareth probably had no idea what had happened to them. So, and probably some other children were born there. And I expect that you know, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I don't think that they told. I'm not sure. So then they come back, and they go back and live in Nazareth. But who knows how old Jesus is then? Three, four, five? We don't know. And so the memory of all that is not as clear. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, but not even his brothers believed in him. So it may have been that Joseph and Mary just kept that secret. Yeah, good. Okay, then sinlessness. This is affirmed again and again and again in the New Testament um, that Jesus did not sin. Uh, Luke 4.13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. John 8.29, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 15.10, I have kept my Father's commandment. John 18.38, I know it's on the lips of Pilate, but I think it's put here just as kind of an affirmation from someone else saying, I find no guilt in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, he who knew no sin. I didn't put in a number of passages in Acts that call him the Holy One, the Righteous One. Hebrews 4.15, he has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John 2.1, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 3.5, in him there is no sin. So again and again and again and again and again, the Bible affirms that Jesus, though he was truly a human being, yet he was sinless. Yet, Jesus was truly tempted. And here is a really difficult question. How is it that Jesus could be tempted and yet not sin? Well, the Bible for sure affirms that Jesus was tempted. Mark, uh, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Hebrews 5, 8, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 2, 18, he has suffered and been tempted, and he is able to help those who are tempted. So again, I told, talked about how we can talk to Jesus and say, Lord, you understand this. If we are tempted to do wrong, we can say, Jesus, I, you, I think the Bible says, I know the Bible says you were tempted in some similar way. Help me to know how you resisted this. Please give me your aid, your help. Uh, Hebrews 4.15, he has been tempted as we are. So he was, I mean, we just have to affirm that. He was truly tempted as we are. So then the question is, could Jesus have sinned? If we say, no, he couldn't have sinned, we say, well, then the temptations weren't real. But if you say, uh, yes, he, was, he could have sinned, well, then how can he be truly God? God can't sin. Huh. So this is a puzzle. And I'm going to suggest a solution. Um, see what you think. Uh, what we know for sure is that he didn't sin, so we have to affirm that. The Bible says that. We know for sure he was truly tempted. The Bible affirms that. And we know, James 1.13, that God cannot be tempted with evil. So now how do we put that together? Here's, here's my suggestion. But I'm not as certain about this as the fact that he was tempted and he didn't sin. 
if Jesus' human nature had existed by itself, if, 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 there had been no divine nature joined to it, then he would have had a human nature like Adam and Eve's at the point of creation, sinless but able to sin. But, number two, Jesus' human nature never did exist by itself. It was always joined to his divine nature, two natures in one person. And so it never existed by itself. And number three, any act of sin, I think, would have involved the whole person, the human and divine nature. And this is impossible for the divine nature. Now, what I'm saying here is, I think it's different from being hungry or thirsty. Jesus, as God, his divine nature was never hungry or thirsty. God is spirit. There isn't a physical need for water or food. But I think being sinful was different from that. I think probably sin would have been an act of the person, a moral act that would have involved his human and divine nature both. And that's impossible for his divine nature. Therefore, I think it's right to say that Jesus could not have sinned. And that technically in theology is called the impeccability of Christ, where peccare is the Latin word for sin, to sin. But then someone might say, well, come on, Wayne, then how could his temptations be real if he couldn't, if he couldn't have sinned? I, and, I, and I want to explain it this way. He did not sin because he resisted in his human strength alone by trusting in God and obeying. But he could not have sinned because of his divine nature. Distinguishing between did not sin and could not sin. The example is this. What about a swimmer who crosses the English Channel and doesn't drown? Why didn't he drown? Well, he kept swimming. Well, could he have drowned? No, there was a boat there to pick him up. But he didn't use the boat. Okay? So he swam in his own strength across the human channel. So I think Jesus' divine nature would have prevented him from swimming, but he didn't call on the strength of his divine nature. He obeyed in his human nature with the power of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and with the strength of resolve to be faithful to God. Um, I, I suppose another example would be a, a baseball catcher who has a backstop behind him but never uses the backstop because he catches the ball all the time. Um, and so... In the temptations in the wilderness, Satan says, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus had the power to do that. He was the creator of the universe. He could have created a thousand loaves of bread. But it would have been cheating. So he would have been saying, this temptation is too strong for any human being alone. And so he resisted the temptation and didn't call on his divine nature to make it easier for himself. In fact, temptations are the hardest for those who resist to the end without sinning. Another example that's sometimes been used is a champion weightlifter. The one guy lifts the weight and he can't quite get it up there and he drops it. 